This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. Leo, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, Yeah, so why don't you go ahead and start and tell us a little bit about you and all the things. Yeah, it's nice to be with you, Ashley. I, um, I guess I've uh, got a long story. Um, we'll try to keep it within, I guess, the time frame that we have. Um, but my story starts with just pretty much like every other member of the church that's raised in a traditional home. I, I was raised in uh, Utah, Salt Lake, and also Bountiful, and uh, grew up in a very strong ward uh, with parents who loved me and loved the gospel. And uh, it was just a really nice way to grow up in the church with a lot of friends that were good kids and and uh, had a lot of good influences. Um, I was checking all the boxes, you know, as a young man. I did scouting and and served my callings and, and leadership before my mission. And uh, then my, my mission uh, was awesome. I had a, a, an opportunity to serve in Uruguay, South America, and spoke Spanish and and uh, was very, the word I kept talking about my letters and to myself was intensity. I was an intense missionary. I worked my tail off. I testified uh, with, you know, very black and white. It's all or nothing language. <laughs> and I believed it with all my heart. And um, I knew it to be true. Um, that's kind of how I, you know, you could say that's the very traditional way of descri- of having a testimony is that I know. And, um, and so I, I was set up for, uh, you know, success in some ways, but in failure, uh, for failure in other ways. Um, the failure came was after I was um, at BYU and married my first child. Uh, basically, um, at that time, it was about 10 years ago now, a little more than 10 years. I came across some uh, information on the internet, um, on YouTube, actually, was a video that popped up that was of the Manti pageant and uh, it was some evangelical sisters who were all lined up with uh, signs on their chest indicating that they were representing different women who were married to Joseph Smith and they started talking about their stories their names and kind of like going through and explaining who they were and um, my skeptical mind you know was like at first I was skeptical of these women and I said, these women are liars and uh, can't be true. And uh, and it was a real mind trip, you know, you could say, is that I I, I went from one complete um, angle at, at dismissing them to being curious and researching and uh, going down what we call the rabbit hole in faith cri- crisis terminology. Did you, I'm curious to know what, what was it that was so shocking to you about that? Was it that you weren't familiar with Joseph Smith and polygamy and all of that? Did that yeah. come as a surprise to you? Like completely? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was because um, a lot of the information, I mean, I had a, an inkling, you know, little bit of information because I, as a lot of youth in our, in our church and even adults, uh, many of us are bored with church history. It's boring. History is not an exciting subject for a lot of people, and it wasn't for me. Um, my dad sort of tried to get me to be interested in church history, bless him, but the way he, you know, went about it was about genealogies and 
some you know obscure facts and things that weren't, weren't really compelling for me to learn about. So until it became a salacious, um, you know, really uh, potentially damning information about someone who I really cared about, Joseph Smith, I wasn't really driven to study. And so that uh, new narrative that I was learning from people who don't like the church, who are there to protest against against the church, it wasn't an environment, it was all by myself, you know, on the internet. It wasn't an environment of love and of the spirit. And so I went, we called down the rabbit hole because of, I was curious. I wanted to learn. And so it was a good thing that I was learning, but I wasn't learning with, um, with any kind of hope or trust or faith. It was all skepticism. And I was a skeptical person as it was, but I had never found anything that shook my testimony like that. And uh, so that's what happened. I just, and we jumped right to the, the faith crisis part of my, my story. But if we're going to try to get to the meat of the, of the discussion, that's where, that's where it all began. So, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, I, I think the thing that I'm curious to know about, yeah. I just did an interview last night with, um, her name's Jasmine and she's actually over at book of Mormon central. And she talks very open and directly about, um, questions in the church and church history. And, and yeah. a lot of it is, it kind of feels like different. It feels, you know, it's, it's very, you know, transparent about what it was, but she, the way she describes it is through a lens of faith. And I'm just curious if you have any suggestions in terms of like, like, what do you think that by talking about this more openly when you were younger, or could that have made a difference for you? Yeah. Jasmine and Neil, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. They're great people. I've met them and, and hung out with them a couple of times. Um, That's awesome. So um, yeah, you know, it, the term is inoculation, right? That's what, what we've used. Some of our church leaders have talked about inoculating the youth, inoculating our members. And it's um, yeah, no, for sure. Like being able to talk about these, these topics up front. Um, one of the, the, the keys on the piano that our critics are, pushing right now. Um, and I can name some names if we want to talk about people, individuals, but um, it's called consent, right? Informed consent. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a very hot topic for our critics because they feel like when we're talking about a traditional narrative, um, you know, which is, you know, the correlated narrative of the church uh, for many years, um, up until about the past 10 years or so, right? 20 years, um, we've had a very strong um, control from top down on what we're taught. And uh, so that um, informed consent is something that our critics are, it's a very powerful uh, blame that they're, that they're um, issuing, very po powerful accusation against the church and against our leaders that they're saying that we have been hiding the truth, right? And so our, our church leaders in their wisdom have produced some great, uh, gospel topics, essays, right? Uh, Saints volumes are, are more in depth and Jasmine loves those. I know she's into those and, mm -hmm. and Neil's done a great job with a lot of his stuff. And so we've got all these um, youth in the church today who are being taught things in seminary institute that are way more transparent than I received and my parents received and my parents' parents received. It's all, mm -hmm. it's all coming to light now. And, and you can either learn it through a very cynical lens, 
a faithless lens, um, which a lot of our youth are learning about these issues on TikTok, um, yep. different places on the internet, Reddit, ex-Mormon Reddit is one of the most visited communities for ex-Mormons and questioning Mormons. Mm-hmm. So you have these places people are going for, for strength and for understanding and for validation. Yep. And so, um, yes, absolutely. In the home is important for us to be teaching our kids. And, and as my kids get older, age appropriate information, talking about all sorts of things like, you know, the seer stone in the hat, uh, Joseph's plural marriage, uh, blacks in the priesthood temple and priesthood ban. Um, you know, these different topics that are very difficult to wrestle with. And if we wrestle with them, um, these topics with people who love us and who are interested in our eternal welfare, mm-hmm. <laughs> not just the quote unquote, the truth, right? So that's, uh, they want the, our critics of the church. They want to, they want to inform our consent, but through their truth, which is a very cynical brand of truth. Um, it's not the truth. It's their truth. Right. So we've got some challenges with our youth, um, and I've had my own challenges trying to re, what we called reconstruct my faith. My belief system has been reconstructed from basically from ground, from the ground up. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so you're you know you are at BYU. You just had a had a baby, and you're starting to go down the rabbit hole with all of this information. Yeah. What did that look like? How I I imagine that when you're your faith comes crumbling down. There's a big gaping hole in your life of, you know, what all of this that my whole life has been centered around is now poof gone. What, what was your experience like with that? It's a crumb. It's a crumble, right? You crumb the shelf, breaking of a shelf, crumbling of a shelf. Um, all of the questions that things you had on your shelf, uh, break come falling down. Uh, I, um, yeah, it's we call it it, and we have this community which is an alternative to some of these post-Mormon communities. I'll just put a plug in for it. It's free. We all everything we do is for free. It's called Uplift Community of Faith, and it's for questioning members, and for family members of questioning members, people who want to learn how to minister to each other, in kindness and charity and patience and love, uh, through these difficult questions. But um, anyway, so we've got these um, these places we can go for information, but um, I, I feel like I'm not really sure how to a- best answer your question other than just saying we can, we can provide places of, of peace and of, uh, understanding and of love of openness for people that are questioning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so at, at that time, when you were going through it, was there, was there something like that that was available for you or no? Yeah. It's so the other thing I was going to say about this is it's called an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Right? that this gaping hole because you don't only question well was joseph smith a good person you question well is the book of mormon a fraud uh does that mean that um, x y and z president nelson or the current prophet is a fraud a pious fraud that's the term that critics like to use is that these may be well-intentioned men but they were uh they were ultimately frauds right so when you have all these that's what they think i don't think that anymore but you have but you have (laughs) you have this um this identity crisis, which is basically like, yeah, I, I, I begin to question not only the institution of the church, but my identity as a child of God, right? Becomes, it goes, it comes into question. And when you have that kind of identity crisis, it, it affects your community. 
um, everything uh, related to like with your work. You know, if you work for a very LDS company, I was just seeing a criticism today that someone was working, an ex-Mormon was working for a, a Utah-based company that's very predominantly LDS, and they have they've been at being having some uh, prayers at work, <laughs> and this ex-Mormon is super upset about that, right? Is <laughs> to pray and work, so we begin to it begins to throw everything out of whack, even your your place of work, place of employment. Your family, obviously, you know, you talked to some mixed faith marriages in your podcast. We've got people in mixed faith marriages. That's all thrown out of whack. Uh, your extended family, they feel like they're being shunned by parents. And in some cases, I think our parents, parents don't do a great job with their reaction, right? Yeah. Um, it's too reactive instead of uh, being, uh, you know, more of listening, um, mm -hmm. diving in with love to discuss the issues. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of the problem is uh, when you go through a faith crisis, begin to question, lose your belief, you know, distance yourself from the church, all these different phrases, uh, you don't really know. Uh, and so I was an agnostic, atheist, closet, because I was scared to tell people. Um, community, no, there was no community at that time. Um, uplift didn't exist. Uh, uh, we... Um, the, the community that I had to go to turn to was maybe a parent, but my parents, I didn't really, my, my dear mother didn't understand these issues, right? She hadn't studied church history. My dad, you know, I talked about him and his studies were kind of different. They're more obscure topics that wouldn't really relate to the things that I was struggling with. I went straight to my stake president when I was deconstructing my belief system. And uh, he, cause my, my Bishop, I knew, I knew, intimately. And I knew that he didn't understand these topics either. So I went straight to my stake president and, uh, and explained a couple of the, the things that I was struggling with, expecting maybe he would understand. And he didn't, bless him. Uh, he hadn't studied the history. And so he gave me uh, kind of, I call it the pat on the bum, get back to work mm -hmm. reaction. You know, Leo, uh, he's like Joseph Smith's a prophet. I testify of, of him being a prophet. Um, patted me on the bum said get back to work brother and so i at that point i was a pretty low right because i didn't know who else to turn to and i didn't really want to turn because i was so upset i had lost trust what about your wife what was your wife and that I, I imagine for me if that happened with my husband that it would be very painful for me what, oh, yeah. what was she going through so my wife is a pretty happy go lucky you can even i mean i i probably I'm not putting my foot in my mouth when I'm saying this. She's a, a simple, I love Jesus believer, right? And uh, she tried even studying uh, saints a little bit and she kind of got a pit in her stomach. She's like, I'm not going to study this. <laughs> and so, and I, and she's awesome that way. She's got a very strong testimony of the savior and loves the church. And so um, I knew, you know, I know my, I knew my wife and I knew that if I came to her with some of these things, it wouldn't be helpful for her or really for me. Um, I needed to, to wrestle with these things somehow on my own. And there is this, this fear, um, you know, I could say it's Satan. And I do, I say, Satan had me in a corner. He was whipping me mm -hmm. in a dark corner all alone, just rocking me. Like you cannot tell people, tell your state president, but you know, he'll be released at some point. Mm -hmm. Don't tell your, don't tell your wife. Um, and I mean, I could have probably in love and faith talked talk to her, but but my rational 
part of my brain also said, well, yeah, you could hurt her and cause her to also tailspin. So I wanted to make sure she uh, wasn't affected by my faith crisis. So I'm a protector, I'm a people pleaser. And so I didn't go to her until I was on my way out of the faith crisis. And then people could say you lied or whatever, and I hid the truth and, and I did. Um, but I was also trying to do a good thing by protecting her. So when I finally told her, I remember where it was, it was in Provo in our little townhouse in the kitchen. Um, and I told her, I said, hey, I'm on my way out of this. It was a really dark time. And I want you to not have to worry about me. Because if you've sent something, I think she could, because I we would still pray and I would pray and I was good at going through the motions. I was what you call a PIMO, physically and mentally out. That's the term. And so I'd go to church. I even served in some callings at the time. But, you know, as far as my heart, I was out. So and I can tell you this, the story of how I came back. Yes. You want to jump into that next? I, I do want to jump in. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good, more positive. Yeah. Cause it's kind of, it's heavy stuff, man. It, this is the, this is the, the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. And I, I do like, I have a, I want to talk, you know, somewhat openly about the, the struggles of being in the midst of it, because there are so many people that are leaving the church because of the things they're seeing on TikTok and the things they're seeing on Reddit. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I do, I, I, I appreciate your just candor because I think that, you know, it's, it's important to share that so that people can see, you know, that you can come back from that. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's important for us to talk about, um, when you, you know, the analogy of this is it's really, it's really an apropos analogy, uh, squeezing toothpaste out of a tube. You can't get it back in the way it was. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I saw that exact comment from uh, somebody on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Uh, faith is never going to be the same when you go through something like that. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of people who are kind of on the edge. Their toothpaste is out they're they're super progressive a lot of them right very liberal in their views political their their political views are more of their religion than anything else right and so you get to this point where it's like i can't live authentically that's the term as a member of this church right i can't support this church who's it's causing harm because of the beliefs of the church and so on and so forth so yeah that's that's the challenge right is you have you have all these people and i was kind of and it's either, there's all these different journeys out of the church. Like you have intellectual journeys out, like studying the history doesn't make sense. You have cultural reasons, right? Like uh, socio, so, uh, sociological or uh, uh, social reasons, like um, current events, current issues in the church, women in the priesthood, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. all these different reasons people are, are leaving. And uh, so, yeah, we do, we do need to um, figure out ways to put the toothpaste back in. There's these different uh, faith journey uh, models that have been proposed. Um, you've got some something called Fowler stages of faith that a lot of really progressive and anti and former members of the church, critical people, um, and very people that are on the edge who love Fowler because it's like this progression from a simple faith to a beyond religion. Um, it's a it's a very uh, linear linear model where you go from I just do what I'm told authority, which is very true in the church. It kind of resonates that way. 
and then they get to the point where they kind of supersede the the the, the confines of any religion. Like I'm just a spiritual person, spiritual but not religious. And so uh, that model I don't really love because it doesn't really fit my journey. Um, and there's another uh, journey and different model that's pro been proposed in the book Faith is Not Blind by the Hayfields. I'm reading that right now, chapter eight so far, and I've already told like 10 people about it today because it awesome. is so incredible. It is yeah, mind-blowing how, yeah. how good and spot-on that book is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it describes the journey of many of us who are finding this our way back into simplicity beyond complexity, right? Yes. To be able to enjoy the fruits of the gospel with knowing that our faith will never be the same. It's not the same. So I've got a, a deeper and a broader faith, uh, one that's been tested and tried, raked through the coals. Right? Yep. Just rocked my world. And so now I see prophets differently. I see the scriptures differently. I uh, I still see prophets as being ordained of God, you know, mm -hmm. being able to be talked to God and receive special revelation for the church. I believe in priesthood keys. I found a lot of amazing answers to my questions. And so um, we can get into how I started to find those and return to faith, but I just keep talking unless someone stops me. So yes, yes, I would love to hear about how you were able to answer those questions in return. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was in my really dark place there for, like I said, for about a year. It was growing. My atheism come. It's like it's like a testimony, but in reverse, right? You, for a lot of us, for a lot of people, it's not like a you know overnight. Some people read these different critical pieces you can say online videos and articles and things. So you can have these, these different things that really influence you. And so, um, but anyway, I was just going to say that my, my journey back really was, uh, it was uh, a miracle because I was in this really dark place and being influenced by a lot of critical material that I was curious about. And I had lost trust in the institution. Didn't really believe that I could get good, solid answers, reasonable answers uh, from the church, because I was told that I was being lied to and I believed it. So out of the blue one day, um, I was in my, the same house that I had that um, talk with my wife, but which happened before was actually out of the blue. I had a, a voice that came to me out of the blue. I uh, wasn't expecting it. This said the word, the, the voice said, contact Stephen Harper, just those simple words. And the voice was, I, I would say, was audible slash, spirit, slash spiritual. I think I needed to hear it with my ears. And I think I needed to hear it with my heart. My heart was pretty hard and not really open to spiritual things. I didn't really trust uh, the spirit or you know what I thought was the spirit. So I needed to hear something too. And, and it was a tender mercy. It was a miracle to hear that voice. And I, I sat on it for a night and thought about it. And then the next day I emailed my old professor, Stephen C. Harper at BYU. And I told Steve in my email, Dr. Harper, Professor Harper, he's a bishop now, by the way, in Utah. I was like, hey, uh, Brother Harper, you might, you might remember me from your DNC class at BYU, but I've got some real serious concerns um, about Joseph Smith. And I outlined some of my primary concerns related to plural marriage in my email. And his response was very empathetic and uh, detailed and um, open and kind. Just all the things that you'd need to hear from somebody. And he was a brilliant historian. I knew how smart this guy was in, my, in his class. And uh, 
and I didn't really ever jump into the details like I should have probably of DNC in his class, but I didn't, you know, have a real curiosity. I was just, I appreciated his class, we'll say, and the doctrine that he taught. He taught a lot of great doctrine. So I got, I got an email back from him. And the, the key thing from Steve that helped me in my journey was his invitation to re-examine my assumptions, my new assumptions that I was making about Joseph. And he, he's also described this as layered meaning or layered interpretations on top of the facts. So you have all these historical facts, primary source documents, and other, you know, articles and things from our history. And if you take those articles and, and these different documents at face value, you can go any, any way, you know, you can interpret things a thousand, two thousand, infinite ma uh, different ways, uh, a single document. And so I was going really much, really heavily into the cynical interpretation. Mm -hmm. And so I needed that invitation from him, from someone who knew the history, you know, if anybody I knew was Steve that knew the history and he knows it, he knows yeah. it all. <laughs> and yep. so, so that was really helpful to, to kind of stop me in my tracks, right. And say, well, maybe I should be more open to uh, what we call apologetics, right. Faithful answers to the accusations our critics make against the church. So that kind of set me back on my you know, my heels a little bit. And I was, I, I took a, a, a deep breath and I started to pray again. And my first prayer, uh, when I was, um, after my experience with Steve and his email, I remember praying. I, I waited for a time when I was alone in my, in our, in our house. And I prayed out loud. Um, and I yelled, I was hot, not lukewarm. I was hot. <laughs> I was so, so angry. And I prayed at the ceiling I yelled at God and I said, God, if you're there, um, you better fix this. And I gave him an ultimatum. And I said, you better answer my questions. I need you to answer me. And, and he absorbed my anger and my hot fire from my, from my, my uh, rebellious, you know, unfeeling, unloving tongue. And he started to return, uh, like we saw, talked about earlier, beauty for ashes, right? And I, and I was dead inside um, spiritually and he started to, and I was, but I said, I need to be open. I'm going to demand some answers. And he did, he started to give me answers and I started being open to the apologetics. You know, could this be a possible answer to this accusation? Oh, maybe. Um, and I call apologetics now, not the ultimate source of truth. I call it priming the pump are the apologetics, which means you study things, faithful answers to these accusations. And then you go to God in prayer and you say, Hey, this is what this apologist says. Um, Heavenly father, could you please uh, either confirm or provide me with the answer that will resonate with me. And I started receiving answers out of the blue in places where I wouldn't expect them. You know, the classic is in the shower or whatever, eating breakfast. And, and I'd get a sudden, you know, lightning bolt, boom, this answer would just come out of nowhere. And I had some visions too, stuff that was like, just completely rocked my, my mind. Like, oh my gosh, this really is from God. And uh, because I started getting these amazing answers and I was open to, so atheists that are listening, anybody that's an atheist or agnostic who's doubting, you start to go pull away from the sixth sense, I call it, right? Spiritual knowledge. You've got your five senses um, that you start to rely on. I can feel, I can touch, 
you know, running scientific experiments, right? I can see whatever I can see with my eyes and touch with my hands, measure. I'm going I'm to observe with my physical eyes. And you begin to question and to dismiss spiritual knowledge, the sixth, the sixth sense. And that's what our, our, most of our testimonies are built on is just the sixth sense growing up, right? It's what we call your personal um, epistemology, which is the study of knowledge. How do you know what you know? Or your personal epistemic framework. And I had this growing up as a traditional church member. My epistemic framework was just spiritual knowledge. And their, their attack on spiritual knowledge or critics um, is so uh, intense and so effective that you begin to call your spiritual experiences elevation emotion. That's the term, right? Is that this is just a friend, the product of a frenzy mind, Korahor in Alma 30, I think. Yep. I, yes. Right. So that's right. what I thought. The story of Korahor relates so, so much to yeah. the world of today. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. I mean, Korahor's arguments were powerful then and powerful now. Yep. The biggest critics are now saying, yeah, your, your spiritual knowledge is unreliable, right? Don't trust it. Trust your five senses. And so that's, and that's the challenge for, I think, for a lot of us is to say, I know I can trust my senses, my five senses, but I need to be able to trust, or at least try to trust a seed of faith, Alma 32, plant that seed and be open to the good fruit of the spirit and spiritual knowledge and peace that comes through Jesus Christ. And when you're open to those things, you're a true seeker and open to the, the additional branch of knowledge, which is the sixth sense, then God can talk to you. If you're not, he might still, you know, break way, break through your cloud of darkness like he did for me out of his, you know, mercy, maybe knowing that I would speak out against this and try to be a, an advocate for returning to the church. Maybe that's why he did it. Maybe it's because of my mom's prayers. I think my mom probably had an influence on me. But most of us that are leaving the church are not open to that sixth sense, unfortunately. Yeah, I have to say, it. I was talking to my mom today, and it's interesting because as somebody that was, for me in my past, being a, a drug addict, a heroin addict, I was in chains to this drug. I, I had no, my agency was gone, and I... I felt like when I first started going on that path, I felt like I was more free. That's what I thought, you know, like I'm leaving the church behind, I'm leaving its restrictions behind, mm. you know, it's too, it's keeping me caged up. And I was like, I'm drink like drinking and alcohol and uh, drugs and trying things. I had no, no reason to not try these things because I now was free from yeah. the guilt of the church. And then you know, it wasn't long before I was completely in chains, which was the exact opposite of what I was seeking. And so it just, when you talk about people that say the church is controlling us and, you know, to me, I think I've never been more free in my entire life is, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I've never felt so free and so much peace and joy. So. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how that tables are turned in that situation? I think that's really interesting. Yep. Yeah. I, I felt like, you know, when you start to explore these topics and start to exit the church and which I never actually did, by the way, I never actually removed my records, but I, I toyed with that idea a couple of times. Like I just need to walk away from this because it's the cog what's called cognitive dissonance is the term, right? Where you're living 
uh, in a in a way that's not authentic to your true self you know you're you know you you have these uh these deeply rooted concerns with the church and with the history and whatever else yeah so anyway that's kind of the problem is it you just have all these people that are struggling with cognitive dissonance in the church i mean they begin to have their religion becomes their politics or you know their personal values personal morals and they can't they can no longer wear garments and they can no longer tend the temple and they can no longer pay tithing um because they just lose so much of that of that love for the church the love is gone so it's tough that is so hard and so i'm i'm curious like when you were going like how did you so you have this experience and these spiritual experience that kind of led you back. And so how did that, did the love just come back to wear your garments and to pay your tithing? Like, how did that, how did you start coming back to that? And, and specifically, I mean, you feel you obviously had that spiritual experience to reach out to your BYU professor. And, um, but you know, Alba, she, I interviewed her a couple episodes ago and she mentions that, you know, at first it was, it was, she lost belief in God totally. And then she had to ease her way back into the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, you know, tell me how that felt coming back and, you know, gaining that testimony of garments and tithing and the temple and, you know, all of those things, like, was it, a slow progression how did you how did that work yeah yeah so it's it's definitely not a a quick thing for a lot of us um who, who journey back i think it takes time uh you know need to have some reasonable revelation things that really bring peace to your heart um stuff that just really resonates that's like yeah that that does make sense um so you do need some kind of revelation um something that that resonates with you and uh, over time so you well, the, the two key terms I like to use to describe uh the church now is power and beauty okay so growing up in the church in salt lake uh bountiful uh, i experienced power and beauty like going to the conference center right standing when the prophet walks in like the thrill of wow Hearing, you know, come, come ye saints, even praise to the man was beautiful, right? I'd sing that. Um, I hope they call me on a mission, right? All these beautiful things that there's power and there's beauty. Um, and that power and beauty is gone when accusations start to fly. You know, it's like the accuser. So the accuser has a lot of power. When his accusations go unanswered, mm -hmm. um, then the power and beauty is gone. Yeah. Um, so in uh, Faith is Not Blind, uh, I really binge listened to it today. And so it's fresh on my mind. But they tell the story of the grandma who had taken in her grandson and she does all these things for him. She's, you know, showering him with love. He's, he's making her so proud. And I think he goes off to college or something. And she gets an email saying that he's in jail in, um, Europe and she needs to pay his bail. And, and the grandmother is just 
everything that all of these things that she thinks about her grandson just dissipate. And she, she's like, how could he, how could he like, it's, it's a whole different view of her grandson. And then come to find out it was a, it was a broad, a a spam email. It wasn't even true. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And it's the accused and did it it taint her view permanently. Yeah. I, I, I don't, they don't go in to say that it tainted her view permanently, but, but I mean, it just is such a perfect description of, you know, if somebody accuses the church of something and we don't even have the proof, it's the accusation that really that hits, even if it's not true, it just, or in any sense, like, you know, my mom was telling me today about how she, uh, heard something from, about one of the neighbors and she heard this thing. And then in her mind, it was true. And then come to find out the person that said it had said similar things to about other people. And my mom's like, you know, oh, thinking wow. this thing is true for all this time. And then come to find out it's probably not even true. And yeah. it just, it yeah. was such a clear, you know, An example. Just, yeah. Of what people do with the church and how it so quickly can make you think, wow, you know, yeah. that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Turning, turning things to be, look ugly that were once powerful and beautiful. Yep. That's that's where the power of the accuser comes in. And those who accuse, right? I'm not going to say people are possessed by Satan. Right. <laughs> but, you know, our bless our critics that actually I think a lot of their criticisms do help us to reflect and to try to be better. And, and enter into that complexity stage so that if we have these questions, yes, yeah. if we enter into complexity, then we can move over to a a mature simplicity where we have answers and where we've taken the time to study these things out and receive our own personal revelation in regards to these questions. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, throwing someone into complexity um, on purpose and then leaving them there to flounder without any kind of support other than saying, Oh, you're, I'm going to validate your, your hatred now for the church. Yeah. (laughs) That's not a great thing. Um, or, you know, come to my community and, uh, and continu- continually uh, accuse to try to heal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, poison your spirit through constant accusation and blaming. And that's, you know, let other people say, oh, yeah, you're right. And get this feeling that you're healing. It's a relief from the church. It's not true peace. So I've got all these concerns with ex-Mormon communities now, because I see what, what they do, they poison um, through accusation, through blaming, and don't, do not leave people with a true way to thrive, right? Thriving in the gospel of Jesus through the peace of the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's truly thriving through actual peace. So I'm, I am, I have some things to say about ex-Mormon communities. Um, I was not ever officially a part of one as an ex-Mormon, but I've been in them for now and watching and listening to them for almost 10, for about 10 years. And I've studied this. I've done surveys to study, listen to them and man alive. It is a bunch of poison, spiritual poison, and it's uh, deceptive. And I wish I could help more people to see that they're not on the side of truth. So yeah. it's, it's, it's disheartening. So tell me a little bit about what, 
so you're doing today. Tell me more about this. So obviously this is something you're very passionate about you, um, you know, and you're, and you're still, it sounds like you're still in those communities to try and maybe shed light. And how, yeah. how do you separate their accusation? Like, how can you, how does that work today? Like, how can you, um, not let that affect you? I, I mean, I know that for me, when I first got on TikTok. I was like, holy crap, this is, I actually, my, my editor, uh, Lauren, who you just saw, I was like, is there any way that you could be the one that deletes these comments? Cause it's like, really, I don't like it. It's, it's yucky. Yucky. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, uh, she's just like, yeah, you know, and I, but over time I just was seeing them quite a bit. And now it's like, what you just said makes zero sense. Like Warren Jeffs is not even part of our religion. You know, like your right. accusations are so off base here. And so anyway, I'm curious yeah. to know how, you know, what that looks like, why you continue to stay and, you know, and well, I, that. I, you, can, you can join pretty much any subreddit, right. That you want. I don't think that they, I think they can block you if you're like, if you get too low of karma or whatever. <laughs> Um, but I, I've joined a few Facebook groups over the years. Um, and, uh, I'll just name the one, um, for anybody that's part of this group or knows, but Mormon stories, podcast community, I joined that years ago and I was there to learn, to listen. And it was when I was out of my faith crisis, I had actually joined to listen and to learn from these people from, and to listen to their pain, right. And see if I could perhaps, um, be a better minister by listening to those who want to be ministered to. I wasn't there to, to preach, but long story short, they actually um, booted me, blocked me from the group um, without any kind of warning. I, uh, I had posted uh, at the time I was interested in trying to protect children. Uh, I was really um, interested. And I wrote this long article about, uh, you know, encouraging bishops and, and, and parents to work together and to have some too deep, if they'd be in, you know, open to having too deep interviews. So I was working, I, I, I talked to a couple of people, this guy who left the church. So I was in this group, uh, Mormon, Mormon studies podcast community. And, um, and I'm not, I'm not saying this because I'm feeling animosity. I'm just trying to say this because it's, it's, educa- it's educational. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I posted as a member of the bishopric. I was in the, at the time. It's like, Hey, as a member of the bishopric, uh, I am interested in trying to protect children, my ward. And I've, I've said, I'm going to commit as a member of the bishopric to always invite parents if they want to come in and sit in with yeah. their, my interviews that I'm doing. And I had hundreds of comments and like hundreds of likes in this group. There, All these people were coming out of the woodwork saying, yeah, Leo, active Mormon, awesome, great job, clapping, applauding me. And at one point I just got banned because you were and we're starting to see that they they were they were yeah they were they were um doxing me right and hunted me down <laughs> and they were complaining to the admins and the admins messaged me after why well, I, I messaged them and said hey i just want to know what happened you know because most of the time i was just listening i, I posted that just because i wanted to build some rapport like with right. this community like, hey, right I'm a mem- I'm a bishop in the bishopric, and I'm trying yeah. to listen to this concern and try to apply what I've learned here. And the guy said to me, "You've been banned because you were proselytizing." 
That's what wow. I'm saying. So anyway, I, I do follow and learn and listen and try to be available for people that want to have one-on-one -on -one conversations. I offer my time. Like I, I say, just to the, the term I use is a free life coach. So I, people might, you know, I, I talked to uh, mixed faith um, uh, marriages, couples, and people, uh, kids on missions. I, I just helped this out one kid stay on his mission recently, and he just returned home. <laughs> so I talk to people if I can help them. And so all this research I've been doing and trying to learn to listen, it's really to minister. So uh, cool. more effective minister. So, and it's, and it's hard because these places are dark. They are dark. So they it does dark. impact my, it does impact my spirit. I, I do, I do get down sometimes. So, yeah. Well, you're doing something incredible. I think that especially in today's, I mean, just seriously in the last, maybe six to eight months, it's like, or six months to a year, it's like just mm -hmm. so many people that are, and I, I truly do believe that it is because of the internet and these groups. And so yeah, yeah. it's, it starts these conversations. And so what you're doing is it's so incredible. So tell me a little bit, tell me the name of, you have a, an organization, correct? For Yeah. Yeah. We have, so I found it's, it's a, a group I founded. It's a community called Uplift Community of Faith in 2017. And, um, and it's on Facebook. It's a small group. Uh, we have a, a YouTube channel, but there's not a lot of content coming because it's a volunteer organization. We just do stuff when we have time. I interview people once in a while. Some of our other admins will interview people. And, and so, but it is a place where we allow for open discussion um, of really of questioning and wrestling. Uh, we don't allow for what's called, we'd say unfettered deconstruction, which means unlimited, no, no holds bar. I'm going to share everything I can think of that the reasons why I'm leaving Mormonism, right? That kind of, we call authentic self, you know, of sharing exactly why I don't agree with the church. I've concluded that the church is false. That's not for us part of our mission, right? Is to allow for open unfettered deconstruction. So we allow for um, open discussion for people that are struggling and are open to faithful answers. If you're open to spiritual knowledge, we allow, allow you to stay and want you to stay. We do, we do boot some people sometimes for being too aggressive in their preaching for the church. <laughs> yeah, We've had a few that have joined and have been so aggressive that we're like, hey, you're actually pushing people away from the church when they're on the, yeah. on the border because they're like, why are you just preaching to me instead of listening? So we kind of, it's kind of a sweet spot for people that are legitimately uh, suffering and are, are open to answers and want to struggle through it and, and make it, make it happen, make it work, the church, make the church work for them. Then we, it's a great place. And so please, yeah, look us up, Uplift Community of Faith. Um, if you are on Facebook, you can join our group and, and that's great. And there's, and there's nothing in it for us. We just, it's like a second calling. We just, right. I'll just help. Exactly how I feel with my podcast. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> kind of like a second job, but you know what? Yeah, yeah. I, it's all good. I um been called to the work, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um yeah. okay, so it's awesome. Yeah. yeah, good for you too. Like it's and we'll just say you know, praise be to the Lord and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for all the good that that we can do. It's all it's all because of him and all the glory yep. goes to him, right? It's, oh yeah. Absolutely. We do this for him and, and to, for loving others. So I think it's yeah. great that what you're doing too. 
Yeah, I I think um, I don't know. It's like when once you've experienced, you know, living without the light of the gospel and then coming back to it, it's it's truly incredible to see yeah you know, the the difference in your life. And so I'm sure that that's part of the reason why you do what you do. Yeah, yeah, you have to. It's like if you just sit on it and you don't do anything, then it's like you're it's like a burning piece of coal in your pocket. Like yep. you got it. It's so true. It is so true. Um, So I have a couple questions from some followers on Instagram. If you would be okay to answer a couple questions. Yeah. Um, Are they watching this now or? No, this isn't live, but um, I am going to post snippets of this on TikTok if I dare, (laughs) but, um, and also Instagram, but um, so how can a parent help a child who is away without making them feel judged? Um, okay. So the the most basic thing is to walk with them. And the way you walk with someone is to first meet them where they're at by listening. Number one, that's a very basic thing to do. Um, but to walk with them hand in hand and, and walking with them symbolically through study, if they're open to it, studying things that they care about, um, understanding what they cherish and they value. Um, if it's something that they, you know, cherish and value, that's no longer in the church, we need to learn how to cherish or not at least maybe not cherish what they, they cherish now, but at least understand why they do. So you can express to them a desire to honor and to respect their new cherished values and beliefs. And if you can find ways to connect by studying things together not to try to prove each other wrong, but to actually genuinely learn together, right? And parents that do that with their kids, be like, hey, I've got a good uh, friend now, um, a, a family, where this young man was leaving, basically wanted to leave the church, right? And I, I talked to his mom and to him, but I, we talked about, you know, does he still have an affinity towards Jesus Christ, right? Let's talk about that for a minute. And she's like, she's like yeah, I think he's still believes in Jesus Christ. He doesn't believe in the church. It's like, why, why don't you focus on re- rejoice in his belief in Christ, right? Don't be critical of his concerns with the church. And focusing on that, on this common ground, right? And learning together about something that he cherishes still, that's valuable, which is the Savior. Uh, they, they started to heal their divide. And now I think he's open to going on a mission and stuff because wow. they've been able to work through their their animosity, right? This, this is tension. Mm-hmm. When someone believes differently, I'm going to try to convert them. And yep. so if you're, if you're trying to convert everybody around you all the time, which we're taught to do in the church, which is like this, this tension we have as missionaries, right? Right. But the best missionaries are those who serve and love and listen and then walk together, right? Like, like you have good examples of that in, in the scriptures, like Ammon's a great example, right? He just kind of was there serving, chop, chopping off arms, but he was there to serve, right? So we don't, he wasn't out there right away preaching to the king. He was out there serving humbly. And so as a parent, we can humbly serve our children mm-hmm. by walking together hand in hand. I've offered this idea is to make sure you've read saints, make sure you've read the gospel topics essays, number one, number two, right? Read these things, follow Book of Mormon Central, follow FAIR, follow Faith Matters, follow every thinker. And there's this website, you can go to uh, Faithful Mormons Scholars Testify or 
uh, Faithful LDS Scholars Testify on Google. You can just Google that, Scholars Testify, right? And there's like this, and we can send a link out for people that yeah. want to know. But man, there's like hundreds and hundreds of these amazingly brilliant scholars in all these different fields who have bared their, borne their testimonies, right? But if we can have trust that there's really smart people who have studied these topics and have come away with, you know what, it's a difficult thing, and I, but I've been able to find revelation and, and, and answers, then we don't have to live in fear. One of the, one of the things that I uh, thought was really interesting in the um, Faith is Not Blind book is it says that there is a higher percentage of people that stay in the, in the church that have a higher education. The higher the education, the more likely they are to stay in the church. And yeah. I thought, interesting. That's some data that doesn't fly with certain narratives, right? Is if, right. Well, if there is a tendency for people that study more to, to stay in the church, but then you have all the vocal, most vocal anti, uh, most vocal critics will say former believers is the, the more charitable term, right? Vocal former believers. They, they talk about often that their faith was lost by reading the church sourced materials, right? The stuff that the church says is true and that's good. And then they, they, they've studied their way out of the church. So you've got to listen to those people and say, well, okay, well, you, you are a smart person, but if there is data that says, I don't know, I'm not aware of your data, but if there is data that shows that people that are staying in the church are very intelligent, then maybe we can relook at that. Maybe I don't need to leave the church. And there's, like I said, that website, Mormon scholars testify is what it used to be called, but now I don't know. It's just scholars, LDS scholars testify. It's oh, it's like the Giscalopit in reverse because you have hundreds of really smart, brilliant people who love this church. Yep. Think about it. They're not crazy. Yeah. Paid to to think. Right. So, so true. It's so true. Dang it. And, you know. It, Okay, so um, anyway, I, I have another question for you. Um, okay. I could go on on this with you for a really long time, but um, do you have any doubts or concerns or things that still bother you? And if you do, how do you work through that? Yeah, um, let's see. Man, I, you know, no, <laughs> no, not, no. I'm at, I'm at relative peace and I've got this amazing, I just did this um, uh, video for Saints Unscripted that's uh, been just released this week. It's, it has my story of, of a vision that I had, but almost everything that I was concerned about has to do with prophetic fallibility, right? How fallible can a prophet be and still be a prophet? And I told about this vision that I had and, and you can, people can go and look that video up and, or yeah, I can I'm share it there. now, but, ba but basically it's like, if you understand the prophets are human and that they can make mistakes and that mistakes can be pretty, you know, de definitely mistake, like serious mistakes and still know that God can work through these people to restore this beautiful church, then that pretty much resolves everything. Um, Joseph was a good man who was asked to do really difficult things and bring in the same in their on the frontier of America and a different time. And they did some stuff that we wouldn't do today, probably, mm -hmm. um, or say today <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So just understanding that alone is just, I mean, I, 
like I, I maybe dinosaurs like god why you know was it for the fossil fuels or <laughs> what about these uh, uh, uh um aircraft from space what are we calling now uh it's not ufos it's a new term but you know are there really ufos i don't know those are some questions i have evolution's pretty interesting but i'm not really concerned i think that there's good reasons for why god would have uh you know like um i don't know there's lots of stuff that's kind of interesting but i'm i'm not really it's not doubts anymore like i just christ has just answered my he's solved everything mm-hmm. um i don't know that's a good question though i'm so glad i asked it because that's an incredible answer so thank you yeah. um I guess one more question that I have is when you were in this place of, you know, in, in the midst of all of this material and everything like that, mm-hmm. what was the turning point that you were like, did you desire to, you know, did you desire to come back or what was kind of the turning point there that made you take the step in that direction to come back? Yeah, I, I was so disillusioned, right? Just kind of empty inside and frustrated with the institution and all these things that I had learned about. Like w- with my journey back, it was um, how do I reestablish some trust? And having to reframe who prophets are, what they do, what kind of mistakes they can make, reframing, you know, my concept of um, church scholars. Are they paid? By BYU, and that's why they stay <laughs> because of that money. Well, they don't get paid a whole lot as BYU professors compared to other professors. They get paid okay, um, but a lot of them spend so much of their time and, and money doing good work that you know, you know, what's the motivation of these people? So there's all these things that you can start to look at that, like, yeah, that's that kind of sets you back and kind of makes you gives you pause right is and so that's what i needed to do is be able to find a way to trust my leaders again um and and their humanity their humanity right they're human and and being able to trust that god can still work miracles through these humans yeah and he, and he can he does and he's done amazing things through me who and i know me and i know my problems and i know that the lord has worked miracles through me i've yep. seen it and i'm yep. like if God can work through someone like Leo to do some pretty good things, and I'm grateful for not because of me, but because of him. And mm-hmm. then, then the, then our, you know, I know that my personal experience, I've seen that amazing miracle. So I, I know that through this church that Christ is working through yeah. and, perf- and that's the, that's the miracle of the church. And so once I saw that, everything just made sense. Like I can, I can function in this church and that's enough to follow, to believe and follow Jesus. That's all he asks. So all my, all this swirling whirlwind of stuff in my head, I don't think I'm going to be tested on that. Right. (laughs) Get up there. So it's the the simple, do you love, do you follow and believe in Jesus? And that's it, man. You do that. um, And that's all it takes. That's why the Lord, I don't think has been so, you know, pushing the prophets all this time to, to produce a fully transparent church history. I mean, the, the, uh, the incentive was, our appetite. Finally, we needed something for these young people. And for, for me, I needed something from the church to say, yeah, these are the difficult issues. And this is how we see them. These are some possible answers. So that's, that's kind of how I see things now. So. Yeah. 
Um, I was listening to a Papa Osler podcast and um, one of his guests on the podcast was talking about how prophets throughout the Bible are, you know, have been through and done some really gnarly <laughs> things, you know, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, okay. You are awesome. What a freaking awesome episode. I am so stoked to post this because you nope. just, yeah. It's amazing. I I think that for me and just anybody listening, that's, you know, been seeing stuff online and to hear you say, I don't have any doubts or concerns that bother me. And I've seen every single thing available on the internet that could possibly, it's, it's so awesome to just, I don't know, like, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Do you have any final words before we end? Uh, yeah, I could say my, my what's called my testimony 2.0. Yes, and let's hear it. My testimony now is different than it was. You know, before I would say I know the church is true, or and, and these very simple, and those are powerful and beautiful for me at the time, but but now they don't resonate as much. Um, for me now, my testimony is is more humble, and I talk about my experience with my Savior, believing I believe in Him, and I felt a, I felt and experienced His love. And I felt um, him heal me and send me peace, um, even when I don't deserve it. I don't, you know, most of the time, it's when I don't deserve it, actually. Mm-hmm. And so I love Jesus Christ. I think he's an amazing person who's very patient. And uh, I, so I believe in him, and I believe that the prophets are good, uh, well-intentioned, but uh, imperfect people. Um, and the other leaders who are trying to lead the church today and, and all the members. And I think everybody in general um, who is trying to do good things in this world deserve a little more charity from us, charity with ourselves and with others who are trying. And so my testimony now is really that the church is, I call it the only true and living church, because that's what the Lord said in DNC 1 talks about not that the church, I know the church is true. He says the true, true and living church. So this church is living and the restoration continues. And I'm excited for the future when more will be revealed. There are many great and important things that are yet to be revealed, right? So I'm excited for this restoration and the future of this church and for the, for the afterlife. I believe that there is an afterlife. I've felt of um, some things and seen some things that I that are pretty powerful. And I believe that there is a reason to be a faithful in this life. So um, that's just my, those are my, my feelings. And I, and I leave that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah.